we're going to be discussing a bunch of shit that Noam's been up to. Um, hopefully, I want to touch some aspects of uh, art and, and the life of an artist because I've always been fascinated by that myself. So, Noam, take a minute or two. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey. Tell how you how you got to Colombia. What have you been up to? Um, funny enough, Colombia was always kind of a means to an end rather than an end destination. I came to New York kind of um, just at a, a log of the draw. Uh-huh. Um, I was called to start a, a non-for-profit that works with kids who take a year before their career after college to give back to the community. Uh-huh. I wanted to be, I was asked to be kind of like a head of the community. The only problem is with that, it, and they didn't really offer payment. Mm-hmm. And in a place like New York, that's, you know, doesn't really work out. So mm-hmm. in the end of the day, I started rolling towards school and looking for things that were more of my interest and something that could also generate income. I stumbled on a company, um, about a year into into my so study. wait when when was yeah. this like so that just I have a view of that uh, so right? I've been in New York for about three years now three years so this was back in twenty fifteen I'm assuming mm-hmm. okay and mm-hmm. so you bummed across a company uh, that works with kids uh-huh. uh, I've been I was babysitting at the time and it was kind of up my alley it's working with kids short term um, kind of commitments working with a very focused and um, you can call it just a specific niche, yeah. Like a very, much. yeah, okay, like an esoteric so set of kids. We're, yeah, uh, we work with a bunch of people around Manhattan in facilities in Jersey and Long Island. I've been up to Massachusetts already. Uh, it's mainly after school programming and specialized um, experiential learning programming, so anything that can uh, spark a kid's interest outside of the academic world. Uh, would will it be whether it be self defense, uh, gymnastics, drone piloting? Oh wow! Um, oh wow! Art, meditation, just uh, a company that takes hires and brings these specialists into schools rather than kids going to after school activities outside of their school. Uh huh. So, what is your role in the organization? I'm at the moment a creative director and a head of my own project. Uh-huh. Uh, that is um, that talks about storytelling um, that tries to get kids involved inside the t- story immersed into the story rather than um, yeah yeah go ahead take your time um, have some tea that usually helps mm-hmm. you know I make special tea for, uh, special for my guests it just like charges them back up to life mm-hmm. Even myself, because I'm like almost. So you know what? What 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 got my curiosity of there was, I was at this uh, gig on Friday and I met a guy who really ha- like who seemed to have like a lot of money. And I discussed. I was, wor- I was working through with him as to like what he did. And he told me he does drone piloting. Okay. Is that a kind of a thing that people make a lot of money with? Is that like is that like a rare profession? It's an up and coming profession. Ah. Um, just recently in Dubai, they had a competition um, for about. Uh, up to a million dollars, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Just, um, uh, it was just a huge, large-scale drone uh, competition, drone piloting competition. Really, 
So it's like they, they're saying that it could be a possible profession for the future. Uh-huh. It sparks a kid's interest because, you know, it's, it's a flying machine. Yeah. It's better than any toy car connected to a string that I grew up with. Right. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, on the subject of growing up, I remember the cars that I grew up with where you'd have to, like, pick them up, roll them backwards for oh, them yeah. together, and, like, and they would run and they would chase after them. I, I had a sad childhood, man. I had no iPhones but up until, like, I was 12. So, like, yeah. These kids nowadays, they have, like, some technology they can fuck with. For sure, for sure. And, like, I see how your projects along those lines as well, um, with the storytelling and then using technology as a, as a, as a, as a means, because even video technology, even technology of that, 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 that catalyzes uh, visual art is was not very prevalent when you and I grew up, right? Like, so I'm assuming you grew up, you you were, grew up in the 90s, right? That's that's when you grew up. So how was growing up? You grew up in Israel. Let me just take it one step back because sure. the storytelling is actually a counteraction to the accessibility of technology to kids. Mm-hmm. And a kid, if it wants to, if it he or she wants to be exposed to the world or want to activate their imagination, all they have to do is click a button. Mm -hmm. Whereas we had to do a a little bit of work in order to, let's say, build that world. Right. And I want to give that tool back to kids because the problem uh, right now that I find myself facing is that everything seems to have been already built for us. Whereas I believe the strength of humanity is our ability to tell new stories based on the stories that are that exist right now. And if you don't have the, um, the tools available to you to build that own world, not needing any of these technological needs, you're able to, you're able to take it a step forward. You're able to see where other people didn't manage to, uh, what other people didn't manage to see till then. Mm-hmm. So uh, the storytelling aspect has two, two major components. Uh, Yes, yeah. two major strong points. Mm-hmm. One, we're, we're storytelling machines. Mm-hmm. So the better you're able to tell a story, the more you're able to attract uh, attract the things that go. Um, like I, I thought you meant more in terms of like attracting a, an ear. Like, is that what you meant? Well, you're able to captivate an audience, meaning that you can get what you want more clearly mm-hmm. and uh, also just articulate your inner world mm-hmm. on a better circumstance. So divergent thinking. Um, which again takes practice and then again takes a little bit of unlearning because this is a natural gift that any child has. Storytelling. Storytelling and the ability to kind of look beyond what is there, what is apparent. Uh, With a kid, if they're looking at a mug, they could also look at it as a home, Mm -hmm. as kind of a spaceship or a weapon. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the kind of constraints that society has or the constraints that uh, technology and media gives us is that a this mug a remains mug. a mug in a way. Uh-huh. Uh, or it will remain so until maybe whatever is on the screen uh-huh. is telling you otherwise. otherwise right. Rather than you're um, exercising that part and trying to manipulate the item without having to um, to have external things stimulus yeah yeah so it's taking away the stimulus and trying to give kids back the tools of rebuilding that world and allowing them to hold on to that more and in addition it also invokes empathy Uh because if you're able to build in a inner world you're also able to understand the inner worlds that other people build in front of you Mm-hmm. You can understand the idea that there is a person that is kind of 
looking at things in a different way. That's the power of play. If you have two kids interacting with each other, there's always going to be feedback. We were mm -hmm. talking about this earlier, a person that is... I keep getting conscious about this. The night. Yeah. Um, hey, shout out the camera. We're done with this. Yeah. <laughs> we have a better conversation here. <laughs> uh, the, no, it's okay. So, if you're able to understand that a person uh, in front of you is telling their own unique story, and you're telling your story, they clash when you start interacting, when they start playing. Because uh -huh. in my story, I want to be the king of the castle. In your story, you want to be the king, king of the, the castle. castle. So now there's a clash, and we have to reconcile. We have to deal with that. Right. That comes with conflict resolution, in a way, because um, we're coming to terms to the fact that we both want to be king to, uh, kings of the castle for our own reasons. Right. And now here's the opportunity to, uh, one, flesh out um, who has a stronger argument and thus giving the person that becomes the king of the castle uh, more of an affirmation that they are able to become the king of the castle and the person that is not the king of the castle to question what made me not able to be a king of the castle this time, what can I do to be a king of the castle next time? Right. It's the perfect learning opportunity and kind of like the natural mechanism that we have. Mm -hmm. We tell stories. Right. So I, I've been babbling a lot. This is this is my specific Protestant project. That's right. kind of what I've been trying to blurt out early. Right. Uh, growing up in Israel was very much uh, centered around doing what needs to be done. Uh -huh. um, which you know, I'm sure a lot of people in their communities are familiar with. Uh -huh. In our context, it means serving our country. It means um, building a stable family. And um, just just um, uh, maintaining maintaining a bit of a a, a tribalness, uh -huh. like just uh, upholding the values that you grew up with at home and paying it forward. Uh -huh. uh, the the kind of the normal route would be uh, today, uh, maybe a little less so back in my day, but in, uh, back in my day, I love yeah. saying that. Um, it's one of those markers when you know you're growing old. <laughs> as soon as you said back in my day, you're like, oh, you old fucking shit. I've Shut been up, saying right? that since I was 15. Uh, <laughs> and really though? Yes. Yeah, you always wanted to grow old, haven't you? I've, I've always observed myself as a 30-year-old. Really? In a currently 28-year-old body. So it's like, it's great that I'm finally getting to that mark. I like, hate I'm, it when I'm going to become my age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're like, like two years. I'm going to realize myself, right? But every time I, I, my birthday, starting my 21st birthday, have been sad as fuck. I'm like, no, I do not want to celebrate it. No, I'm growing older. No. But then you know what? It's a good enough opportunity to get drunk. So I'm like, fuck it, you know. <laughs> but, but so, um, that's just like, a, oh, are you trying to, are we close enough to not have the condom between us anymore? <laughs> I don't know. It feels like we're already taking we're ready, a step we're ready, forward. Yes, yes. And... Yeah, this noise I particularly do not like. Yeah. <laughs> Either it should that be noise noise. You know, it's going to haunt all the 18-year-olds who sleep without condoms forever. Uh, but That's right, kids. So, a lot of what you said is very interesting to me. Because um, I am kind of in the process of building my own view of the world as well. And a lot of it just like hits right, the, the nerve perfectly, which is one of the things is storytelling. So a bit of my background is something like this. I am certain the a major part of the reason that I'm here today, that I'm meeting all these interesting people, that I'm that I'm learning from all these these fascinating, well-versed educators, and I'm at this prime institute that I'm in, and my future looks bright, um, has a lot to do with the fact that since the from the ages of three to ten, almost every night my dad would tell me a story, right? 
from the cultural texts, from the religious texts, from from just moral texts, from from I remember just like Confucius figuring in and Buddha figuring in, and then uh, like I knew about Israel back when I was four. Like there, there's no reason to there's there's mm-hmm. there's no involvement, but he told me the story that there is this nation that's just like fighting its enemies off, and it, it presents like a bold statement to the world, and he he. And it was very fascinating to me. Not just that, then historical events he painted stories. He's a great storyteller, and I learned a lot of the way I tell stories myself from him. And that shaped a view of the world for me. I'm still trying to like discern, distill like what from then stuck with me and created the man I am now. What <coughs> what essentially is the difference between somebody who falls on the positive side of the chart in terms of human performance, let's just say, and who does on the negative, and why I would fall on the positive? I like to think about that. And stories, I believe, is a big part. Um, to some degree, I also believe that we do not necessarily. So, like when you mention how the mug is a mug, and how the impetus on the large-scale media wants us to believe what is literally accurate, while ignoring the metaphorical truth, or even like the second-degree truth, if you may, right? Mm-hmm. Things that may not be as obvious but are true still. Mm-hmm. And if you were to believe they were true, you'd do yourself a service. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, right? It's like saying don't eat mushrooms in a forest, even though only some of them are poisonous. But you don't want to take that risk, right? Uh, I mean, I, I probably am conflating too many things, but like um, this whole uh, this this whole idea of like the storytelling that you that you that you want to put across. How do you want to go about doing it? Like, how do you want to cultivate children away from this fixed certain media narrative of interpretation of the world that the CNNs and the Foxes of the world want you to believe, and then come up with their own. Or even the Facebooks well, of the world. If I'm thinking on the largest scale, and I want to, I want to take it out into the world and throw myself out there, because um, I think that's what um, people like you and I do. We're not afraid of unleashing into the world what kind of exists on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, we we kind of crave the feedback. We want to hear what's uh, on Hello. other people's mind and what it strikes them when you say what you say. Mm-hmm. And then that helps you shape it a little more. I'm trying to just kind of enforce the um, the incoming stream from here mm-hmm. and here rather than here. Mm-hmm. We take in that the major criticism I have is just we have the accessibility and kind of the the resources. The, the, yeah, we have the resources available for us, and we also have the natural tendency to want that passive income of information, influx of information, because it's easier. It's easier to articulate something that you can replicate. Right. It's so much easier. Not just easier, it's so much easier to articulate something that you've heard, something that you do replicate. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what we... <laughs> it's a degree of laziness. Yeah. And it, it's a degree of laziness and it's it's a little sad because let's say if you take the... Um, if you take one of the greatest stories that people whether they hate it or love it. Lion King? Um, that's definitely one of them. Oh, take, it even a little, take it even a little uh, further than that. Take uh-huh. Adam and Eve. Right. Take the story of creation. Right. The story of creation was done because the Lord said that there will be light. Mm-hmm. He said that it will be light. Mm-hmm. And we were made in His image mm-hmm. or in its image. Whatever you want to interpret it, there is something beautiful about what you say is what you create, what you put in front of you. Um, and we're kind of taking away that power because if you're just replicating what's um, what's happening on the outside world, you're just giving kind of like a superficial feedback rather than digging deep down and trying to understand 
that whatever you are saying, you are giving birth to something. Mm -hmm. You're not just a reflector, you are a creator. Right. I want to give kids, anyone uh -huh. really, that power, um, the understanding of the power that the already exists. Yes, yes. The acknowledgement, the understanding, and kind of like understanding the gravity uh -huh. of the responsibility that a person has right. over their lives. Right. That's fantastic. But are you, are you religious or to any degree? Spiritual. Spiritual. I would say. Um, just as a person that has kind of stepped in and out of many frames in my life, I've um, I, I was blessed to see so many contradictions along the way, mm -hmm. uh, which um, made me uh, come to terms with the fact that I just don't know what's out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I could never know. And even a person that has studied years in their own profession mm -hmm. will know that they don't know. Only so much. Only so much. Right? Only so much. And it's always going to be scratching the surface. Right. We're always, we're kind of, um, we're kind of dealing with the tragedy of the endless information that is out there. Right. And if That's you if you speak about if you speak about it with uh, with yogis, uh -huh. I think I remember seeing an interview um, with Ramdas. It the may have been Ramdas. English. It may have been Ramdas. Okay. It may have been someone else. He was speaking with, I believe, like a a a complete scientific um, academic right. rationale. Right. I believe it was Yuval Noah Harari. Speaking out of my ass here, right, but I really sure. want to. Uh, the the point that I'm trying to say is uh -huh. that even the incoming information that we believe is the extent of knowledge in itself uh -huh. is only a tip of the iceberg of a tip of an iceberg. Right. Um, and just understanding that gives you gives you so much power because you're letting go of that need to control. Right. The incoming information is that illusion that you do have control. Right. In my humble opinion. Uh huh. In my own experience, that's that's how I saw it. the income of information of what my family, um, my how my family leads their lives, how celebrities lead their lives, which does have an influence for me. Absolutely, how social media leads, it's uh, life, leads right? a, it's life. How people in the academic world lead their lives, they're sort of a distraction from my understanding of what. Um, what I need in order to come into terms to my full expression. Mm -hmm. and, and when I say coming into full expression, just like anything that you pursue in life, it's never perfect. Mm -hmm. You're always going to uh, be a work in progress. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to be right now a work in progress in becoming the best expression of myself. Mm -hmm. And I want this program to be kind of that stepping into stepping into that world mm -hmm. where kids are responsible and are taking are taking the reins to imagining the world that they want to live in not uh, necessarily uh, a world where every needs uh, are met but every um, desire is fulfilled but rather have to work towards it yes kind of more more just understanding that there's something even beyond that and to always kind of dig always and bring their bring their curiosity forward mm -hmm. rather than their certainty of life. Mm -hmm. uh, a child has a certainty mm -hmm. that's both beautiful and both devastating to um, to anything that has to do with uh, the income of information. Mm -hmm. If you're not coming to terms uh, with this as a child that you don't know, mm -hmm. 
I feel that that's blocking you from further progress, further development. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like on the subject of speaking out of our asses, right? Yeah. I spent, I had like the longest time trying to make sense of religion. My parents aren't aren't religious by the definition that the West might have, but by by an Indian Hindu standard, I'd say they're pretty religious, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up in an environment where God was supposed to be thanked for everything, and then. Uh, you must pray before you sleep and stuff like that. Imagine doing a prayer for 10 years every night of your life, every night and not remembering a single word from it. That is how disinterested I was. Till the point I was like 17 or 18 and I could like voice my conflict. 17 and 18 I began to like voice my conflict very actively. And there's a longer story involved, but towards the end like the end happened sometime once I'd come here. I took a class in Hindu religion. I I studied it at depth and I studied the primary text which is the Bhagavad Gita. I studied that with uh, with 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 much uh, determination, with much dedication. Using that and a few others, I have come to sort of understand how I would see, how I would make peace with life in a on a very very macro level, right? And it sort of seems to like echo what you think, uh, which is in fact you don't have control, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, the Hindu religious texts seem to emphasize that the universe is within you and not outside you, mm-hmm. right? And that sort of is like a contradiction, but like. how is that the case so when i started thinking about that i came to realize that you do have control to the effect that you have control over this mm-hmm. and that that is everything that the universe is mm-hmm. right so if i can act in a fashion where i am bringing good to the universe and that good could be constructed in the defi- in the in the image of god for all i know right so if i if i act out in a fashion where i am doing everything to make sure that my act my acts are good right things will come about in a fashion that usually will be good and then there are going to be losses as well but that is beyond my control i bow down to it i accept it i embrace it and i move forward with that lesson right that is almost like an anti fragile approach to to the whole thing like i'm going to be heartbroken i'm going to be destroyed destructed just like a, a fucking rumble to the ground like that's going to happen to me but if i have my head between my shoulders and i'm willing to see it as an opportunity there's nothing stopping me then just the just the uh, the the ups right the 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 crests are all that i have to look forward to because the troughs are already teaching me what i need to learn in life it also allows you to almost make the effort of failing because that's soup that's massively missing in the generation that i'd say the i gen let's just say right the 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 willingness to be wrong we don't want to be wrong at a pace like never before at with an urgency like never before how dare did you use that how dare could you use it right that mm-hmm. that that leveraging that um that that the threat almost that you are morally incapable of existing in the society how dare you say it right this 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 notion of challenging almost everything that is apparently wrong but may not be exactly wrong right but i i i i seem to follow so uh how was to to get back to the original question because i'm always uh, very curious about mm-hmm. how how somebody's life might have been growing up away from my context because i can imagine like how indians grew up i can imagine how rishi grew up sort of right but like how was it for you how was it growing up in israel how was how was coming to terms with the fact that one day you have to put yourself in a situation where you might not come back out alive and then how was all of that i out of my own work perspective i don't find anything in my upbringing to be irregular right that's always kind of the funny part Um I don't think you're a regular dude either so it's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> I, I I didn't I don't consider myself a regular dude in, um in 
uh, in comparison to my peers back in school. Uh-huh. Um, just I'm, I've, I'm already come to terms with me being kind of an oddball, generally speaking. Uh, as far as looking it through my uh, my own culture's contest context, um, sacrifice wasn't as big as a deal of a deal um, because Israel is kind of about um, has more of a familial identity because there is that tribalness. Your, it's not that your life is secondary because there's a huge sanctity, uh, sanctification of life uh, in Jewish culture, in Israeli culture. Um, because there's such a sanctification of life, when there's a, a loss of life, you're willing to give your own life to maintain whatever, it, whatever, whatever we wish to preserve. Uh-huh. We also have, and this gets into a whole other conversation, um, in my eyes, we have a deeply rooted uh, fixation over our past tragedies as a people. Mm. History books that I've studied, um, we've always had kind of the same conclusion. We were chased out, we were hated, we were conspired against, and um, we were always we were always considered, um, we were always kind of destined to be, to be chased out, to be chastised for who we are and how we celebrate our own, uh, our own existence, our own ways of life. And Israel was, for my society, the only answer to kind of the, the tragedies that engulfed us and um, made us really go back to where we originated in accordance to our holy texts. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be in a place where we didn't have to be um, chastised for who we were, where we can celebrate our own identity and we can celebrate who we are. It's, it just kind of feels like I'm beating around a bush mm-hmm. and I'm not yet getting to a certain point. But is, any, is anybody, like think about Buddhism. Buddhism I have this kind of hope that there is more. Because I came to the terms, uh, these kind of truths, mm-hmm. I, I accepted them into my life only very recently. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of... Um, what do you mean these kind of truths? These kind of truths of just being open to the possibility of the infinite amount of truths that exist around. I'm, I'm just kind of still stumbling in the mess of mm-hmm. eternity. I see what you mean. So the, mm-hmm. the, mo- I kind of, so like the most graphical way in which I can imagine it is like sort of like, it may not be, as far as as far as most sciences are concerned. Even when we are like attempting to understand them, right? So before we understood how the st- why the stars aligned in the fashion that they did, or like say, uh, what the the solar system was, we would com- we the way we moved towards them was not like a linear A to B path, right? It was like a a, a very spiral where we would take years to just cross that one inch boundary, and then years again. So like. I, I feel like sometimes when I'm trying to articulate stuff about, say, my psychedelic experiences, right? All my dabbling with uh, with LSD, mushrooms, M- uh, not MDMA I wouldn't consider as much, but like DMT by itself, which I very recently did. And I, every time I try to articulate that, I find myself beating around the bush too. I don't expect anybody to understand. I'm like, listen, I'm going to try. It, and only because you ask me to. Sometimes I just like it. But so, only because you ask me to. And I don't think you'd understand what happened. Because I'm not sure I understand what happened. 
well, I, I understood what happened, but there is obvious change, and it came with the acceptance of the fact that there was I experienced something that I cannot fully explain. Mm-hmm. Um, I started acting out things in a fashion which were so contradictory to my nature. I just did not know I would be surprised by my own self, and that's very rare. If somebody can experience being surprised by them their own self, uh, I think they're hitting the right notes there. I would say something and it like, wait, hold on. Did I say that? I genuinely, generally do not. Like, why is this coming out of my mouth? Why am I behaving in this? Why am I not afraid? Why? Where's the fear? Right? So one of the things that I do as a part of my whole uh, expertise on dating, right? My, my, my whole presentation that I, 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 I tell people about uh, on, on, the, on the issue of dating is that I do cold approaches. So I'd walk around uh, the streets, sometimes I'd go to bars and I'd meet women randomly cold approaching them right there, right? Without mm-hmm. relying on a social circle or stuff like that. And that would terrify the fuck out of me when I do it. Mm-hmm. But I had to do it because there were clients coming in to see the presentation that I was giving. I was doing it for somebody else. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out practice. And I went out one night and I found myself so many times just blanking in conversations because I was like, wait, you, nah, you're too scared to do it. How did you do it? Why the fuck did you do it? And then I was like, you know what? Just act it out. Fuck it. We'll think about it later, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there is obviously a beyond. And my analogy of the personal being the universe is that. So like if I were to, if I could just make peace with the fact that this is all there is, everything else is the beyond. No I'm showing up for this interview, I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. I have gratitude for that. I'm glad for that. Yeah. And then that, that builds in a sense of living like nothing does. I'm not entirely sure. I've never really experienced depression. I've never really experienced a low phase where I was just just anti-life in general I hated I never hated my life I've always been a happy person but a part of it I feel like has to come from the fact that I've been a very grateful person all my life I've my parents made sure the the, the prayer that I mentioned it ended with that mm. I'm grateful to my parents and my grandparents and mm. always grandparents before parents like my in dad was your, in your father tongue in your mother tongue in, in oh yeah in Hindi yeah in Hindi yeah so it would be that I thank my dada dadi and my papa mama mm. right and my dad would make sure always I said Dara Dadi first before I said Papa Mama, always. And th- that, that taught me humility, that taught me almost always to put yourself second, put the other person first. Mm-hmm. And it's never really, so it's not literal, it's not like, oh, you are doing this because of this. You just automatically get it. You just, you, you children's, ch- children really absorb stuff, man. Not as linearly as we think they do. Yep. Like the sciences of how you should psychologically treat children is not as linear as we think it is. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's all surprising where children learn what, right? Uh, so it, the metaphysical aspect. Most Israelis, <laughs> it's so funny, man. Every time I'd meet an Israeli when I'd be traveling across India, I'd be like, oh, what? Are you here to look for God? Like, what's up with you? And then we'd start a conversation with that and then would end up in like friendships and all of that stuff. So like I met Israelis, so many of them before I mm-hmm. got here. And when I got here, I made friends with most of them. Um, it it yeah. has its pros and its cons, let me be real. Like I always get pulled into like the Israel-Palestine debate when I'm not looking to get into it. Because how dare somebody say shit about my friend? How dare they say he's a racist, you know? Uh, what do you think about it? Ooh. Oh, if we're already opening that door. Yeah. I, I just, I will say this. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past when someone was about to bring up that subject, mm-hmm. right away, a fire would kind of go in my mind. Because there would be kind of the defense mechanism. I'm ready to like stick out my teeth and bite the person mm-hmm. in front of me that's uh, raising it because one, I already know that whoever that is raging the subject has their own opinion and two, most likely that opinion is going to be contradictory to mine, mm-hmm. which as you say, it's just like kind of a cold opening, 
it's terrifying mm -hmm. um, because you don't know what the other person is thinking. You're not in your um, normal social circles. Mm -hmm. You have to represent your own life and what you see. And you're supposed to represent what it is that makes you human. Where the person in front of you, a lot of times that I've encountered, the person in front of you believes that you're representing a side that is uh, not on the victim side of things. That is the one that is the aggressor. That is the one that is, quote unquote, killing Palestinian babies, oppressing an entire population. You know, that's resting on my shoulders when I'm representing this conversation. That's mm -hmm. by association, mind too. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely terrifying, and it prevents dialogue. Today, when someone's um, bringing it uh, forth, and we spoke about this before. I'm ready to enter that conversation because one, I don't know everything, mm -hmm. and two, I'm very curious to know what it is that you think and why you think that way. So what I think about it right now, it's a tragedy. It's just a flat out tragedy. I remember being um, kind of at the heart of it, holding the gun, mm -hmm. and on the other end of that uh, of that. Um, on the other end of the plane was just no one, not a kid, not older than 16, without a doubt, um, completely covered and holding a Molotov cocktail, ready to throw it at me. Right beforehand, there was an exchange of curses between my superior commander and another kid. It's 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 just tragic because. You see two people that are kind of fighting in a way that you would see in a sandbox. And the only difference is one has a gun, one has a Molotov cocktail, and they're both very, um, very attached to what they believe. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I don't like putting myself in the position where I'm talking about either side. Because right now I'm just trying to discover where I step in uh, because you know I did not go through those tragedies that my grandparents went through that my family went through I did not go through the tragedies that the people standing on the other end of this argument went through which have to do with home displacement something that we know as a culture mm -hmm. that have to do with death mm -hmm. we know it very well as genocide well. death and that too genocide we know yeah and we, we don't we, we condemn it every year we commemorate and and honor those who have fallen victim to that prejudice mm -hmm. and there's that same kind of tragedy at the other side that that's that's where I, I find myself a little lost because I see both ends of the argument and I'm just trying to see where can we put ourselves forward. Right. Um, my own personal mission is to try to tell stories from the present and start talking about future. Right. Yes, it really hurts right. to know that the person in front of me was about to throw um, a, a device that could would probably incinerate me. Uh -huh. And it hurts me that I had, a, I had the ability, I had the power right then and there to finish and end Whatever that small conflict, yeah. It's, it's terrifying to feel that it's that fragile. Right. Um, and here, you know, it's dialogue. 
-hmm. Okay, what are we going to do about it? Right. We're not going to push governments. Um, at least right now, I don't feel that I can push a government. Mm -hmm. I educate kids. Right. I'm, I'm focusing on my strong suit, and I want to be able to tell better stories. Right. Okay. You're the, not happy with it? What are we going to do about it? The, you sort of, sort of hinted at the assimilation of the individual with the community there, right? When you mentioned, mm -hmm. like, th th there's only so much my being can do, right? And mm -hmm. at, right now, I want to invest it more in the end of telling stories, right? Yeah. And that's where, you, but you know, I sort of want to invite you to look at something that I've been sort of trying to figure out in, in my personal being. So this whole idea that I've seen a lot of Jews, not just Israeli Jews, um, uh, reproduce is the fact that their ancestors, their family went through a lot. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and even Jews my age, you included, you sort of still live with that and that, that agony. And you sort of try to give back to, to your community as much as you can in that process, right? Uh, with the Indians, I see it so terribly missing, right? Mm. So, the the whole idea of a national sense of being, a sense of sense of community, is so missing in in my diverse population. It's it's just so absent. We are so tribal against our own selves. Mm. But that that that's a that's a topic that's very separate. But my my point of uh, my point of confusion is. Why do you think that exists in like one race and one race on this planet where you are so willing to fight for ancestors, where you're so willing to not forget the past, where you're so willing to like continue that, um, that advent onto, um, onto, onto new year, new year years, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you, it's, it's very rare. It's, it's very impressive to me on some level, but it's very rare. Why do you think is that so indigenous to your people? So once again, I can attest for my own self. Uh -huh. And, I and that attest, should be enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take it into a very small scale micro example mm -hmm. of my own life. I did not grow up a happy person. Mm -hmm. We're kind of like on the on opposite, opposite ends. ends of the yin and yang. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely on the side where I say that I'm only coming into terms now with the light of my being, with the wonder and uh, the wonder of life and the wonder of me being me in this life. Mm -hmm. um, and the force that drives me is that tragedy, is the fact that I feel like I've missed out on a childhood because I've victimized myself, because I had everything that I needed, essentially, to be a happy person, and I didn't act upon it. Mm -hmm. There is like kind of a, a tragedy of loss. Like what, for instance, did you I, I did not have social circles that I can say that now I'm a proud member of. Mm -hmm. I've disconnected myself from every social circle that I've initiated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've copied my life from Israel to Amsterdam, from Amsterdam to here. Mm -hmm. And I've built strong relationships. And at the same time, I feel that the time where I wasn't such a wanderer, where I had the opportunity to really root and um, allow this this kind of solid base to to be realized um, also the the free time that I had the free time that you have as a kid and that you don't really realize that I've spent hours upon hours in front of a television screen rather than come to terms right? mm -hmm. like there is a reason why I want to tell stories because I've been a passive observer so it's that tragedy for me that has given the power and the drive to become a better person and to give and to um, 
essentially create the light that mm-hmm. I want to see in the world. Have you heard of the inner child uh, idea? One hundred percent. Yeah, uh, Nietzsche talks about it. And Far East cultures talk about yeah. it. I mean, it's it's a known concept of getting in touch with that inner child, embracing it, and loving it no right. matter what. Right. And also, that's a key element to um, in enjoying your present. Uh-huh. Without embodying or without embracing who you were, you're never going to really come to terms. Come to the present. You're you always going to look back and and kind of sigh. Something so interesting happened to me over the summer. Um, in parts, my childhood wasn't exactly how I'd like it to be if I could go back. Right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't the healthiest person. I did not find myself to be uh, very social very attractive and stuff like that and it bothered me to some degree mm-hmm. but over the summer something happened that was if I were to I just cannot get into detail but if I were to it would it sort of completed the circle mm-hmm. of my of the the insatiable child in me getting finally the candy that he's always wanted in a sense mm-hmm. when that ha- when, when that did happen it just felt nothing but after when I was speaking about it to a friend and he was like yo go back to the time when you were 10 and imagine this is what is going to happen to you at 22 right Imagine that 12 years going to change your life so much. Imagine if you knew it back then. And it took some while. I was driving back home. It was a long ass drive and I was thinking about it consistently. And uh, by the time I came to, to terms with it, something changed. Something just like I did not wake up the same person the next day. I did not wake up with the same desires. I did not wake up with the same worldview. It was as if a long drawn war inside me had quelled itself. I am not in that. I used to be a poet. I cannot put my words as poetically anymore as I could back then. Not definitely not as poetically as you can, but like, I, it was it, it was so liberating. Not for the right reasons though. I knew in that moment I was holding on to the wrong things. I knew in that moment I was chasing the wrong dreams. I knew, but just to acknowledge that, just to embrace the fact that that my child was irrational and it made irrational and regrettable choices, and I'm fine with it. I fucking love it. It's okay, you know. That was the beauty of my childhood. I, my mom got so sick of cooking for me, she refused to. She was like, listen, you eat too much. We are not going to cook for you. Get yourself some food. And that hurt, like back then. She meant it as a joke, but then I was like, is this, honestly, she would spend an hour cooking just for me. That's how much mm-hmm. I eat. And now I'm like, I'm keto and shit and I like barely make sure what I'm eating. It's like very carefully planned eating habits. It's all coming from there. I don't want to get back there. I cannot, when I look myself in the mirror, if I stare at myself, I stare at myself for more than 30 seconds, I start to get fat in my own eyes. It's, <laughs> it's, there is some weird fucking yeah. psychological bullshit happening there. Yeah. But that's interesting. So like, when do you apply to Colombia? Once you were here, mm-hmm. once you've been here? Or like, how did that happen? Before we get to that, mm-hmm. because sure. I don't want to, I don't want to evade the question. I did take it on the micro scale. I want to take it back to the macro, macro scale for a second. Absolutely, because we're not talking about one single story. Right. We're not even talking about the story that exists today. We're uh-huh. talking about a story that has existed for thousands of years. Could you even close your eyes and try to imagine what that means? In the twenty some odd years that you've been on this planet, you feel that you've been through thousands of lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Imagine that magnified to that kind of uh, to to just that amount of strength of what a story gives you, and that's what builds nations. That's what pushes people forward, and that's an idea that is deeply rooted with us. Mm-hmm. Our our knowledge is inherited. Mm-hmm. We we do not. I, I do. I'm standing on the on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. Is uh, that's something a lot of Israelis used to? I've seen that. Yeah. And it, you know, what do you think? It, tell me what you think about this. Do you think beauty exists in a paradigm beyond good and bad and 
like good and evil like do you think that happens because i feel so i think everything is beautiful yeah, yeah. Uh, that's you what i'm an artist <laughs> Listen, um okay this is a just a side story uh, i went on an expedition to poland where you're supposed to uh try to grasp the tragedy that occurred in poland the the, the greatest massacre um, for the Jewish people happened on Polish ground. Mm -hmm. um, more than three million Jews perished on in, in Poland uh -huh. alone. About a million in Auschwitz. Wow, yeah. You can't grasp that number. No. You can never grasp that number. No. Um, it's, it's imaginary beyond belief. The only thing that I could fixate on in my 18-year-old mind was looking at the ruins of one of the gas chambers that was... Um, that... Um, that was demolished because of an uprising of the uh, a Jewish uprising inside of uh, the Warsaw ghetto and all I can think of is how beautiful that scene was yes I 100% believe that there uh, that beauty exists beyond um, subjective mm -hmm. right and wrong yeah yeah it, it's it's for me a testament to the fact that I am not the sole um, beholder of the universe. You are mm -hmm. a sole beholder of the universe, as I am a sole beholder of the universe. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, it, it's a horrible word. I really don't like it because it just doesn't really illustrate how powerful it is. It's called sonder, mm -hmm. where you realize that every person that you're passing down the street is an embodiment in itself of the universe, right. and each one. Regardless of how you know, kinky the things uh, they do on the, in their spare time uh -huh. that involve whips and cigarettes and whatnot, uh -huh. uh, as mundane as pushing and, and filing papers in an office, it is all magnificent. It is all beautiful and it all deserves to have an expression in this life. Uh -huh. um, it allows, once again, for me to engage in dialogue mm -hmm. because I realize that there is beauty in everything. That's honestly, I feel like that's one of the building blocks to becoming an artist is, is essentially that, is to be able to see beauty for its own sake, right? And the, the border that you really need to come to terms with is, well, the border that you need to cross as an artist is also the ability to show um, that vulnerability and to show that to the world, right. uh, which is the kind of the, the path that I'm crossing. Uh, what do you, you mean by that? Um, publishing your things. Mm -hmm actually taking a step forward and creating what you're doing right now is creating something you're mm -hmm. not just holding it in yourself you're trying to magnify it you're trying to bring it out into the world you're mm -hmm. trying to give it expression mm -hmm. giving it expression is creating and um it's giving more room for your expression out in the world which will reverberate which mm -hmm. will cause a bigger wave mm -hmm. um the reason why the Jewish experience is such a large wave and the Palestinian experience is uh, such a la large wave is because that it's expressed with millions of people mm -hmm. um, and it's enforced every time again mm -hmm. and again mm -hmm. until it's not, until there's a paradigm that's broken, mm -hmm. um, which I believe that we are on the verge of that. Oh, really? It's, it's a personal belief uh -huh. and it's in accordance to what I get to see around me. People that are willing to take it a step forward. Yes, we have this worldview. Yes, we have this tragedy that defines us. What else would we like to have as a self-definition? Mm -hmm. 
I, I had this uh, fantasy before I even uh, went through the doors of Columbia and um, opening my own class. I was already like with the uh, feelings of grandeur that I can do that. Oh, I would, I would love, love to it. do that, man. I would love to teach people. Mm-hmm. If you let me talk, I'll talk. Uh-huh. That's my simple, that's my yeah, simple. So this class would be basically, okay, um, it would probably be in like the philosophy courses that you would take. Uh-huh. You just take the top students of Columbia, put them in one classroom and say, all right, uh, let's get one thing straight. Everything is permissible. Everything is possible. Uh, let's take it from there. Uh-huh. Let's start from that. <laughs> you are now the creators of this world. How would you do it? Exactly. And start building a brand new religion. Just as a experimental playfulness, right? right? Uh, we, we have um, a bunch of smart guys here, you know. Um, we come from different backgrounds. We have our own worldview. Let's start thinking forward. How would our religion look like? How would our um, view on life come to expression. I feel like that's a very undermined thought exercise. I, I feel like... It's fun. It's, it's absolutely it's amazing. It's what a, it, would be your daily ritual? Who would you give thanks to? And why would that be the case? Yeah. And why would that be the case? How would right? your community look? Right. Wow, yeah. No, you know what? That you should almost publish that as an open, open source um, uh, a thought exercise anyway. I feel like if people... Um, one of the more interesting ideas that got me hooked when I moved here was uh, given to me by my roommate and we were discussing we were discussing life in general. We'd get just high beyond our mind and start talking about shit. There's this <laughs> regular roommate routine. You know what I'm speaking yes, about. Sir. But he mm-hmm. said something about, imagine you're 88 and you're dying. Mm-hmm. You're dying right now. And this is really ma- microfying what you've just expressed. He's like, now you're dying, right? Think about all the regrets that you might have. List them down, right? Did you want to have a better family? Did you want to have a better career? Mm-hmm. Did you want to serve people in a better fashion? What did you really want to do when you're 88 and dying? And let that old man have no regrets. Mm-hmm. And then construct your life in that fashion. Yeah. Do that and you are happier dying. Mm-hmm. The transition is easier. You don't know where you're going. You might as well get on the bus happy and cheerful. right? And for that, work every day of your life. Make sure that man is not disappointed. Because he's weak, fragile, vulnerable, and all sorts of helpless. You, you don't, don't leave him there. Do not. That really helps me every time I, I begin to slack. Every time I begin to like get easy, comfortable. I'm like... Mm-hmm. He's going to regret it so bad. That's not <laughs> because I imagine myself as like this really uh, free man. That was my day today. Right. Um, <laughs> He's um, like, yeah, that was my day today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems like you've been having a good day, bro. Uh, uh, this year, um, once again, on off conversation, I have put it as my goal to lead an effortless life. Or at least this year is going to be effortless. What do you mean? Effortless does not entail. Um, the lack of hard work or the absence of hard work. It means um, aligning things in a way where the flow is so natural to you Mm -hmm. that it is not putting a mental, physical, or just all-around strain Mm -hmm. on your being. Mm -hmm. You could work your ass off on something, but if you're not believing it, you're not only working on that specific project, you're working on working on that project. And that's not double the work. That's maybe ten times more. Ten times the work. So, you know, when you were saying that something just like inside me was like, Stalin. so anyway, <laughs> there is this uh, very interesting concept of Vipassana mm-hmm. in Buddhism, right? It's I'm going to do it in uh, December. Oh, you are? End of December. Dude, where are you going? I'm trying to get to Sherrington Falls. Where is that at? It's uh, Massachusetts. Uh, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. You, mm-hmm. I definitely need to sit down and have this conversation again once you're done with it. Okay. And especially Absolutely. once you're done I'm with it, fresh. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because I've been wanting to do it since forever. I just... 
I just need to make time and do it. Fuck it. Fuck excuses. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there is this idea that they teach you that they will teach you. I don't know how much you've read up about about it, but also I have a book if you want. Uh, it says, "Koi rag nahi, koi dwesh nahi," which literally translates into uh, "no attraction and no repulsion, no mm-hmm. craving and no resistance." Right? That's yeah. the idea. And my personal belief and. I have been corrected on it and I've been corrected very rightfully on okay. it. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. It's all yours. Uh has been um, that if you can and this is my first degree belief, I'll talk about my second degree belief. My first degree belief is that if you can fix the compass of your psychology, you can almost move through life very effortlessly. Very uh, effortlessly in your definition. But then somebody recently updated it with saying that you need to primarily work on your physiology first. that boosts your psychology and then work on your psychology next and then the mental and the physical strains almost take a secondary path and keto has been one of those things that i've done for my second degree belief um and i think it's it's absolutely accurate if you stop resisting the the negativity that comes the the pain the tragedy that comes from being part of this and world and then the additional tragedy of not being able to um go in accordance to your expectations If I knew that I was going to sit through a class that was dabbling in theory, I was basically reading out of a slideshow and telling you to read chapters of a book. I can do that very well by myself. I've I have the proper uh, discipline to do that and to invite people to come and challenge me, which is what I'm trying to do right now with just basically educating myself on the science of storytelling and what are the cognitive um mechanisms that are happening when you're telling a story and mm-hmm. what's happening when people are listening to your story. So what is happening there? You have uh wow. Uh you have so many uh things that are happening at the same time. There's uh, on the grander scale when I'm telling you a story, um the parts of your brain that are activated um are the exact same parts that will be activated if you were to experience these things yourself. This is this is one of the pieces of information that were kind of the key to me. continuing on this path of storytelling. Uh when you're reading a book, you're not you you're not just sitting there reading a book, you're involved with the character. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that read a science fiction uh book have a certain after effect that lingers for days and maybe even months depending on the amount of impact because you just went through the experiences that the other that the characters in the book went through. Mm-hmm. You just had the same rushes of dopamine, cortisol, oxytocin that would probably go through the minds of the characters mm-hmm. when they would be in that kind of danger. Mm-hmm. Conversationally speaking, one of the better one of the better tips that I give to people, especially men in a dating environment, but people in general is um uh, uh is is the art of storytelling and I I do not I'm pretty sure I do not do as good a job as you might do uh given how much information you have in it but One of the things that I tell people is that there is three elements to it that if you can add you will sure as hell captivate the fuck out of the other person. Make it visual. Mm-hmm. Describe how it was, right? Mm-hmm. So like show it paint the fact that yeah, paint the fact that the leaves were green and what shade of green. That really kicks it. Then make it audible, right? As to what you were listening to, what what was here, what were what could you hear? Were there birds around? Were you by a sea? Why could you hear the waves? Mm-hmm. And then three is describe the feeling. Mm-hmm. If you add these three aspects in a verbal small ass conversation, right? The story is 10 times, even 15 times better than just you saying, "Oh, I was there and then this happened and then I and I banged my car into somebody else." <laughs> no, no, do not do that. You're being stupid as fuck. Describe the color of your car, make it happen. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's very interesting to know because like 
by by that definition you are almost sort of accumulating more experience through pages and if you can do that then and you through are, people and through people yeah uh, you're experiencing it even more when you're hearing it uh, as a first hand uh, story rather than hearing it on a screen uh, there there are many um uh, there there's a lot of research that comes behind this like um, the difference between a child watching a cartoon and acting upon the message that the cartoon was saying versus uh, watching the cartoon alongside their parent mm -hmm. and what impact that had with them so what impact did was that i don't remember it uh, to a very um, but what was the large detail but yeah. just and the the message stayed more clear and there was also more of a dynamic a kid can um, a kid can interact with someone who also took in the information meaning that there's more of a possibility of future interaction based on the information that was given so there's the, that um, that exchange of information is necessary it's like Bruce Lee saying you can hit a wall but a wall won't hit you back uh -huh. right? You're not going to be a warrior if you're going to practice on a wooden dummy. You have to have a person to interact with. There always right. has to be a feedback. Right. Um, the same. I believe that there was also kind of a. There, there was also just kind of a, uh, an fMRI that they um, that they that they saw the effects of the the cognitive effects of a child watching the cartoon versus watching the cartoon with uh, with the parent, and more parts of the brain were lighting up. So with the parent of mine, sir. With the parent. Or with the parent, there was more parts of brain life. Yes, absolutely. Mm, okay. There's more to kind of take in. And of course, the parent talks to the kid. You see, do you see the information in front of you? What do uh -huh. you think about the information? Right? Uh, there's, there's a need for involvement. There's a need for an interaction. Uh -huh. So we can never get the, um, the information that we're seeking if we're just listening to it passively from, from a distance. Right. I think the worst um, sensation I had um, or a pretty bad sensation was to sit in a classroom with 160 other kids and being the only one asking questions. Oh, I love just, it. Uh, well, it's, I need, I need contrast. I need someone to say, uh -huh. shut up. Yeah. You should definitely come for a club, bro. You should, awesome. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd yeah, definitely I, like I, it. I know. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think this Friday we are, if we are having a meeting at all this Friday, given the break, but this Friday we're going to be talking about sexual selection and how that plays out in the dating environment for some uh, somebody wanted to talk about that because some people feel like there are racial filters to it as well and that might be the case but we're going to we're going to discuss it out and the whole premise of the club is that you always want somebody to stand up and be like shut up you're wrong mm -hmm. this is what this is what i think and then somebody else will be like oh no you fucking shut <laughs> up right so we arrange it in yeah. a fashion like that too um yeah. and i i love the fact that i managed to convert that uh, fire that i was talking to you before mm -hmm. about the when someone says um, that keyword the palestinian israeli palestinian conflict instead of that fire being a a hostile fire of i'm gonna i'm, I'm ready to fight you yeah it's or it's more like Oh, this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be juicy. It's gonna right. be eventful. There's right. gonna be content. It's right. not gonna be a moment where we're just spatting things out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not me versus you. It's uh, it's not me and you. And it's not us reciting things. Right. We're right. Not thinking about the next thing we want to say. We're actually listening to the, the other person. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's essential. That's so essential. Um, see, that's what I thought Columbia would be. Uh -huh. I thought that I would have professors that would say, "No, I'm shut up." Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. Me, with 10 years of experience in academia and this subject that I've been um, fine-tuning for years, uh -huh. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Let uh -huh. me tell you what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, didn't get, I didn't get that yet. Oh, I see. Um, kind of, um, 
If you know, do you know the book uh, Tuesdays with Murray? No, I've never heard. It's kind of like the 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 romanticization of a a um, what's the word? Mundanity. No, no, it's a platonic relationship between uh-huh. a student and his professor. And just kind of the love that exists there because the professor is kind of trying to get the person to open up and see the world uh-huh. for what it is. Mm. And, you know, I was hoping that mm. there would be more professors to kind of take me through that. Right. I was hoping to be carried more, right. which I understand now is not going to be never the, going to be the case. Never. Yeah, that's never essentially going to be the case. I, I basically went on my path and I'm right here where I am now because I'm letting go of that. Uh-huh. In Israel, I was hoping to be carried by the ideal, by the story. I was hoping to be told where to go because it's so much easier. It's so much easier to take in right. passive information and relay it to the world. Right. To just reverberate. Right. Because it's it's essential for your survival to be able to have people that share common ground with you. Mm-hmm. And I, it replicated very strongly in the army because mm-hmm. you have to repeat the information because there's life at stake. Mm-hmm. If you're not repeating the information as you heard it, uh, there's a strong cost. chance yeah. that, that there's going to be a very, very painful cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I set up on my own path, I was trying to figure out how to do it on my own, and it's very hard. It's like learning how to walk. Mm-hmm. It's learning how to talk. You have to keep putting yourself out there, keep trying new things, and keep getting feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always kind of that back... Uh, that need in the back of the mind to be carried. But um, I really want to know, so what are you planning on doing in detail? Like, I want to know more about the details about your storytelling mm-hmm. uh, advent that you have, the enterprise that you have now. So this is really the first time in my life where I find uh, that this is a cause that I'm willing to give. Um, and I'm going to use the word sacrifice mm-hmm. because I'm living right now in a society of all of the I and it's hard to commit to one idea. This is an idea that I wish to commit to for for the rest of my professional career as kind of the the general point, mm-hmm. the kind of like the, the pillar on what I build, um, the media content that I create, the art that I create, the stories that I tell, and the books that I write. I want it to be on that foundation because I strongly believe that this is kind of one of the, no, I I believe that this could be the key for what you would consider a next step in educating and um, empowering any generation to come. I think that we're, we're just... My feeling is that we're in a place in time where we can start taking responsibility and build these foundations that are more than what was inherited and more than what was given to us till now. The, the hate that comes around us, the, the, the pain that, that comes around, I just, I, I have a strong feeling, and this is what I want to connect to more, it doesn't have to be this painful. Doesn't I don't want to have a person, um, a parent telling their child anymore, yeah, life is shit. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want that anymore. Because yeah. there's a child in, within me, and I, I'm accepting the fact that I'm a vulnerable fuck. Uh-huh. And I love it. Uh-huh. Because I get to say to myself, I don't want to live that life anymore. Uh-huh. I don't want to live 
the life where I'm saying everything is difficult. Every step that I take is going to be shitty um, and full of pain and just like all of that. One hundred percent. It's my hope that I take the Columbia education under the condition that I can have a place to build this idea mm -hmm. on a solid academic foundation. I have all of the components needed for proper research. I have a diverse set of kids from several parts of Manhattan and I can take it to other places once we, once we regulate it in Manhattan. I'm writing the curriculum now. Um, I, have a, I have a very diverse age range group. Uh -huh. I'm focusing now between five and seven, but I think corporate can be in storytelling. Uh -huh. uh, I was uh, training um, members of our team, um, and we were just cavemen for um, for the whole hour. Oh wow! Yeah. So it was just—it's something that you can do. It's something that you can tap into for any age range. So I want to be able to start crunching numbers. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have kind of the academic background to say, yeah, we've examined this in in this angle as well. And I would love Columbia to participate in it. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm still, I'm still struggling with the idea that because I'm an artist, because I'm a storyteller, I'm probably not gonna go into finance. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not gonna go into anything that involves finance or business, I'm still gonna be in debt for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So is it proper for me to invest in an education that I'm probably not gonna be able to live the liberated life that I've worked so hard to achieve? Mm -hmm. Probably at this pace, no. Mm -hmm. um, my last string of hope is getting in contact with um, Teachers College and try to route an express track uh, with a master's and hopefully a PhD that's all about developing this product mm -hmm. and making it solid enough for people to understand that yes this could be integrated into any educational system. Mm -hmm. My next step would probably be taking uh, whatever model I managed to construct either in New York, either in California, either in Israel, I don't care at this point, I just want this to happen mm -hmm. and start uh, getting feedback from other educational facilities around the world. Mm -hmm. I, want it to, I want it to withstand the trial of the different um, the different approaches to education right. that the world has come to offer. I mean, we're looking at only a very specific and focused westernized education. Mm -hmm. But th there's so much out there that mm -hmm. I don't know and I want to be able to know. Right. I want to experience it, I want to live it, and I want to be able to bring something to play with. Right. Like you don't go to a baseball game without a glove expecting that you can play. Uh -huh. you know? right. So I want to be able to develop that tool right now so that I can come to these schools and say, hey, so tell us more about the tool. I'm very interested about like how you're going to go about doing this. Like, what is your what is the what is the idea that you're working on right now? Okay. So right now I'm taking something as simple as um, Aesop's Fables. It's uh -huh. a very famous um, Greek storyteller that right. has told um, stories that basically have lasted for these couple thousands years. Um, the famous ones include Taurus and the Hare. Uh -huh. um, what was it, the boy who cried wolf? Uh -huh. These are all Easy. fables that, yeah. yeah. And they are probably reverberations of fables that have existed for thousands and hundreds of thousands of years beforehand. Right. Because the profession of, um, of uh, being a shepherd has been there for quite a while. And uh, tortoises and hares have been there quite a while. Right. Um, so I'm taking these simple fables and trying to get kids to um, 
also just put them in the story, put them in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Give them the properties that the main characters have and give them the fate the same dilemmas. Simulate the same dilemmas and put it in the language that uh, makes sense to them. So they're not only passively hearing it in a didactive sense, mm-hmm. they're not just hearing an oral representation of the story, they're actually embodying it. They're actually in the race. And let's, uh, let's take the story of the raven and uh, the jug of water. You have a uh, raven that arrives, uh, or it could be a crow or a raven that arrives to a, um, to a dried up whale. Right. And next to the well, there is a jug of water, and the crow can't reach down towards the water because of its beak, its narrow beak. Right. So um, a lot of kids are not necessarily familiar with this fable, so I try to give them all the components that uh, lead them to the same conclusion that the crow did before telling them the, right. um, the end of the story. So how do you think the crow handled that, for instance? Oh, no, I know the story. Yeah. I was so, really, yeah. yeah. Grabs the pebbles right. and starts collecting the things. Easy does it. And the beauty of uh, this kind of storytelling is, one, they're doing it themselves. They start looking around in the classroom to uh, pebbles that have already planted inside. Mm-hmm. And they've already uh, gone, grown accustomed to the fact that uh, crows can collect things with their beak mm-hmm. because they're, they're experiencing it. Their, their hands are like this, mm-hmm. and they're collecting items around the room mm-hmm. and putting in piles and concentrating it. So they already have the properties, and um, they can face the same dilemmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they reach that resolution, it's that much stronger because they're the ones that are embodying the conclusions. They're the ones that are suffering the consequences, right. just like the, the characters in the story. So, how many uh, are you taking? Are you picking up all of Aesop's fables? Or are you take, are you taking a select few? Right now, it's a select few. Select yeah. few, because I'm pretty sure, like some of his fables, like because when you said that these these stories have survived all this while. It's also the truth in these stories that has survived all these wilds, and they could they could have like a very beautiful interplay, right? So, for instance, it's like there is a reason why the boy who cried wolf has survived for all this while that it has, and that the the, the very reason why that happened is because it's teaching you the the consequences of of lying out of your ass mm-hmm. multiple times, and then you really facing that danger and not being able to resolve it because you expended the amount of help that you could have gotten from your community, right? So like some stories, because of the truths, they remain for a longer while. Mm-hmm. But that you have to factor in the fact that, that some stories, have you come across any that just might be redundant and like not, not worth investing in as well? Yeah, there, yeah. there are quite a few. There's, there's a lot of things that wouldn't be um, as efficiently translated into story, uh, into story form. Mm-hmm. I will say, um, so, uh, there's there's one with uh, the toad saying um, going to going to his mother and saying that there was a huge beast mm-hmm. that uh, trampled in the waters and nearly nearly killed him mm-hmm. and the toad the mother toad um, in pride swells herself up was he as big as this and he says no and then he swells herself more was she as big as this and he says no so she swells herself more until she explodes right. Um, That's tragic as fuck, bro. It's tragic as fuck. <laughs> uh, a lot of these fables could have kind of a, a bit of a, you know, a harsher truth than the kids would be accustomed to. Right. Particularly in those these ages. Times. Yeah, yeah. In these ages, death is not the same experience. Uh-huh. I mean, we grew up with stories from Disney, and death is so apparent. Yeah. It's just the way that you tell it, it's the way that you present it. So it's also a challenge that I want to, I want to introduce death. I want to introduce concepts that are harsh in life in a way that a kid can um, at least extract it and put forth um, lessons that they'll learn later on. Mm -hmm. Um, And that being said, 
you are not in control of what the child is going to interpret. Right. So the second part of the science is whatever story I'm telling you, and even though we're, we're activating the same uh, regions in our brain, we're not telling the same story at all. Uh -huh. You have your conclusions from The Boy Who Cries Wolf. I have my conclusions that also include the fact that um, there, is, um, there is a battle between instant gratification and delayed gratification. The boy wants the uh, affirmation and the attention, right. rather than try to do his job and with progression, with time, he'll gain that uh, right. respect right. because he'll mm. catch wolves in a span of 30 years rather than in a span of a week. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So you can take it anywhere you want and the beauty of telling a story is you don't have to tell uh, the conclusion in the end of the fable. Right. You don't, um, that play will do that for you. Mm -hmm. The, the reason why we play, the reason why we tell stories is because it's practicing, it's rehearsing. Mm -hmm. And rehearsing is never perfect. Mm -hmm. it's, it's how we tell the stories again mm -hmm. and again. Uh, the reason why I'm taking Aesop's Fables is because just like a pop tune, it's catchy. Mm -hmm. And if it's catchy, it will resonate not only when they're five when they hear the story um, at the first time, it will resonate when they're ten and they get to look back at it. It will mm -hmm. resonate again when they're fifteen. Mm -hmm. One of the most powerful stories that I remember as a kid um, was The Giving Tree, mm -hmm. Shel Silverstein. I've never um, heard. It's all about a tree that um, gives everything in its power to a small boy mm -hmm. that it loves with all its heart. Mm -hmm. It gives, and as the boy grows older, it just comes back and asks the trees for more. It asks first for its apples, then it asks for the leaves and the branches, then it asks for the entire trunk. Mm -hmm. And then by the time that the boy is, uh, has grown old, he comes back and the tree has nothing to offer, just but a stump. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't... Um, it, it doesn't try to give you a lesson at the end of the story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't try to tell you what you should think. Mm -hmm. It just gives you the story mm -hmm. and allows you to to kind of put on your interpretation. Right. Which I was, when I was experimenting with art, when I used to write poetry, when I used to read a lot of poetry and like a lot of music, I've always been heavy on music. I've, I've felt, I've felt that the, the, the job of a true artist is to create a bracket within which you can find yourself. Mm -hmm. Your poetry needs only to be as vague to be sensible enough for somebody to find their sensibilities in it, right? So it's like, there's a reason why instrumental music um, evokes a, a more emotion in me now than it did then than lyrical music because it's like it allows me to write my own words in there mm -hmm. right and then there's songs like uh, Stairway to Heaven why they've survived all these years is because it's vague enough for you to find what your Stairway to Heaven is what the lady who's looking for gold is you know it, 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 it gives you the permission to do it because mm -hmm. if something was as linear as almost all of the pop songs that we see why they have such a short life is because the meaning so obvious mm -hmm. right you, you do not have time for reinvention with that you do not have time to participate art 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 is a grander participation than just like one man vocalizing his ideas it's if it was that it'd be academia that's the very reason why it's not it's a, the reason why we've still not managed to grapple entirely with the idea of creativity is because it's inconstruable in words. It's, it's the power of insinuation. It's the power of suggestion. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I'm it's, it's like you're saying. This is why I love haikus. Mm -hmm. um, because they're so contained. Right. Yeah. You can open up um, a scene in nature and uh -huh. take it anywhere you want, any uh -huh. direction you please. It's not going to tell you what you need to do from there. Right. It's just going to show you a picture. 
Right. It's just going to paint you the picture and you take it from there. It has the limitation only enough mm-hmm. to show you a picture. But so uh, you are now transcribing Aesop's fable into a more interactive environment, you say, so that people can live through it? That's part one. That's part one. The real uh, point of this is that it's only a baseline. Uh-huh. My job is to play with kids. Right. And kids take it wherever they want. Right. Kids are going to come up with the different solutions. Uh-huh. Uh, they're going to run around. They're going to want to continue to pick up things. And you know what? That's amazing. Uh-huh. That's, um, that's being able to track. That's using your hands. That's using your mind. That's working together for a common goal. Uh-huh. That's amazing in itself. If you manage to do that in the classroom, boom, you already... Um, made your quota mm-hmm. for the day. Mm-hmm. So it's just the baseline and around it you get to play. Right. So that's the, those are the brackets. Uh-huh. And from there you take it anywhere. Right. Now you could get to the conclusion at the end, uh-huh. which usually is always great because, um, you know, a skit that goes on and doesn't know how to end uh-huh. is, you know, just not funny. Right. Like the joke is there and then just kind of like, gone. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you're fighting, this is what's wonderful about kids. They're just such an honest portrayal of themselves. Uh-huh. And if they don't want to hear it, they don't want to hear it. Right. And if you're fighting against the wall, they're going to push hard. Right. So what you have to do is take a step back and say, okay, let's go there. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, let's go there. Oh, right. that's awesome. Oh, wait, how about this? Uh-huh. And then power of just playing and trailing along and taking them through the world. Uh-huh. So the second part of the storytelling dynamic is creating that baseline world. Uh-huh. Um, they know where the well is because we've established that there's a well. Mm-hmm. We know where the river is because we've established where the river and the mountains and the creatures and that exist. Right. And they get to play in the end. Right. So by the end of the 12th story, they don't only have a collection of stories and the knowledge of different creatures that exist around the world. Because let's say if you're telling this to a three-year-old, you're playing with a three-year-old, they don't know necessarily what an ox is, mm-hmm. or a fox, or know. a tiger, right? or a lion. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I don't tell a lion from a tiger. I'm going to do it as fuck. Awesome. No, I can, man. I was just making that up. But yeah, I get your point. <laughs> you got that. I got that. Yeah, for sure. As long as people can make fun of me, I'm fine with that. So wait, wait, how do you how do you plan on going about doing it too? Like because that's that that so like what are the the semantics of your interactive storytelling plan? Like how do you how do you implement it? So for instance, um, like we spoke about earlier, you have an idea of of recording scenes to represent haikus by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that part two, by the way? Is that is that something you want to do on later and then focus on this the ASOPS aspect first? That's my own need for self expression. Oh, that's your uh, so only. Storytelling is the professional fulfillment. Uh-huh. I have parts of my personality that I uh, that I've come to terms with uh, along the way mm-hmm. that I know need to come to certain gratifications. Mm-hmm. I have an adventurous side, so I always want to find places where I can push myself out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone invited me to um, out to, and we just said by. I don't know, just like um, a blabber out of things to take uh, post-it notes and write it and stick it on people passing by. Mm-hmm. And then we went and did it. Mm-hmm. I see. Yes, that should have been fun. fun. You should have invited me, man. I would have been so down for that <laughs> shit. You have no idea. So I'm actually inviting friends to challenge me more. Right. To like take me on adventures. Because uh-huh. uh, I, I, that's one part that I love. Well, one of the things that I did not too long ago, uh, my grandparents had a 70th anniversary. <clears throat> I wanted to do something special, so I asked my family members to um, film themselves dancing. And I didn't want to be the schmuck that's dancing alone. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find someone to dance with, but I had no one. I tried scheduling it with friends, and they just copped out on mm-hmm. me. So I just go out one night, 
um, to bars and I started asking women casually, uh, listen, I'm doing this project for my grandparents mm -hmm. and I even show them a video of my grandparents dancing. Right. It's the best I'm, I'm it's unbelievable, and I'm dancing with uh, with these random girls yeah. on the streets of New York yeah. because of the fact that there was a necessity for adventure and uh -huh. the necessity to to fulfill a goal. Uh -huh. um, so these haikus are a part of that, uh -huh. and they're also you get part there, of the artistic. Expression. Did you then finally get laid that night or no? Because <laughs> I'm going to say yes to that question. I got, I got a few numbers. See, see, um, that's you just being humble, man. We know you got fucking laid. But did you eventually? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's yeah. the part that I'm still trying to figure out. As soon as somebody somebody gets into that that domain of discussion, I have this this separate part of my mind just to switch on, and I'm like, I'm analyzing <laughs> it in the in the framework that I've established, yeah. and I can see the, why that would work. It it has close to a perfect appeal as a mm -hmm. pickup line. If yeah. I, I hate using that term, but it has a very good appeal to that. But yeah, fuck fuck yes. So uh, how far are you into like constructing that curriculum? Like how much longer do you think will you need to do that? And when, when are we going to see this playing out? It's already playing out. Oh, it is? I'm in a company with um, a person that whoever that is kind of driving the train, mm -hmm. he's always going to push it forward. Mm -hmm. So we've already sold it to schools. We're already trying it out. Mm -hmm. So he's the person to kind of push me out of my comfort zone to a degree that is um, almost insane. But just enough for me to sit down and write curriculums. I already have 12 of these stories written out including uh, training sessions and there's also a biblical series with the synagogue that I'm working with mm -hmm. and I've already gone through a few of these and I'm receiving already feedback mm -hmm. and I have other uh, members of the company that are also already doing this so mm -hmm. they're giving me feedback mm -hmm. so it's happening mm -hmm. we're, we're ready this is what was kind of missing from my Columbia education was kind of the ability to to grasp it by the balls mm -hmm. and really work at it Mm -hmm. Not talk about it in theory in a classroom, not be in my own mind, but whether I want to or not, this already has legs, this is already walking. Mm -hmm. So I'm either on the train or I'm off, off the train, yeah, mm -hmm. and you'd prefer to be on. Right now, yeah. Yeah, fuck Absolutely. Yeah, if, if this has the potential that I believe it does, uh -huh. um, yeah, I want to I continue writing. Wow, man. That's fantastic. Hey, how long have you been on it, at it? Um, it's been... I'm going to say about an hour and a half an now. Hour, yeah. It's been a dope conversation. I've had. A, I've, I mean, I could go on, but I have like yeah. commitments now. But honestly, man, it's been a pleasure. I it's wish you awesome. luck with all that what you're doing. Thanks. Get me involved with whatever you can. I'd be more than happy to, you know, help. So yeah, I'm looking for professors that are willing to take this on as a project uh -huh. to also help me. Write. Yeah, uh -huh. I'm looking for um, even off Columbia, whoever uh -huh. that I'm inviting anybody. This is what I love about. Uh, just being in the realm of creating. I'm not attached to being the sole proprietor. Mm -hmm. I want a person to work on the music. Mm -hmm. I think music has a strong correlation with activating um, a child. Uh -huh. So I need opening music. I need closing music. I need um, the, the music to be in the right place in the climax. Mm -hmm. I want set designs mm -hmm. that are flexible enough for me to be able to carry it on my bag uh -huh. and uh, dynamic enough for them to believe it's for real. multiple yeah. purposes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that pretentious. It could yeah. be a noodle, and then that could be a knife. It could be an axe. It could be a sword. It could be a tunnel. It could be a radio. It could be anything. Uh -huh. uh, so I'm trying to kind of narrow it down right now, working on uh, what are the items that a person needs uh -huh. to be a storyteller, mm -hmm. right? One of the uh, one of the main things that they're going to have is a is a cloak. Right? Uh -huh. um, I'm looking also, like I said, so I'm looking for professors to also turn this into an academic experiment, so that I can start signing on 
kids to participate mm-hmm. and uh, send out surveys at the end of these classrooms. Mm-hmm. And I want to compile these surveys in an in an academic standard that's an Ivy League standard. Mm-hmm. You know, if if that's the highest that I can get to, then I want it to happen yeah. in the highest standards. Yeah. And I'm inviting people to put in their own impact. I'm inviting storytellers. I'm starting. Um, I'm inviting theater majors right. to come uh, and and try this out. Right. Because this is very much an improvisation. Right. This mm-hmm. is. Um, be in the character and if you're not believing in the character uh, this is one of the hardest parts as the storyteller if you're not believing in the narrative if you're not believing that there's a tiger right there mm-hmm. then they're not going to believe you're yeah. not going to participate yeah. yeah no I agree um, regardless man that is just um, I think uh, this conversation turned out to be better than I thought it would be and I had pretty high standards so like by that definition um, we've, we've pretty wow. much outdone ourselves awesome um, I that's this is a bunch of questions in my mind, but I think we're gonna have to save it for some time else, man. Yeah. No, it's been an absolute fucking pleasure talking <laughs> to you, man. I hope you felt similarly. I hope you could like no, think through yourself. Interesting. Yeah, you know, with all these lights, it's been. Interesting.